I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are three guys who take big pieces of wood and make them smaller. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, welcome to Wood Talk number 269 for August 21st, 2015. On today's show, it's a mixed bag of your questions all related to finishing. Yay! Everybody join me. Yay! But before we get to that, just a quick reminder that you can help support the show by going to woodtalkshow.com and looking over in the right-hand column for the donation links. A single one-time donation or a recurring donation in a small amount. Uh, Either way, will help support the show and we really appreciate those who do that. Uh, Now, of course, we are on vacation until September 14th, so this show will not be in the typical format that you're used to. It's just you and me, baby, so let's get it on. Our first question comes from Christopher. He writes, Recently, I built a side table to fit next to the baby's co-sleeper. I made it out of babinga and maple and finished it with Danish oil. It looks great. I let it off gas in the garage for 10 days, thinking that it would be enough time for the fumes to go away, but it wasn't. On the first night after moving the table to the bedroom, my wife said that the fumes were still really strong. Then I checked the info on the packaging, and though it might not be toxic per se, it is at minimum a nose and throat irritant. What should I do now? Can I put a coat of something else on top to prevent further outgassing? Uh, Do I just leave the table in the garage for a few weeks or months until it becomes safe to take back inside? And what should I do in the future to avoid a similar situation? What finishing strategies should I use for furniture that's meant to be used in close proximity to a wife and baby? Well, that's a great question. I think a lot of us end up with this situation where you finish something, you bring it in the house, and suddenly you realize that it stinks. And typically, you know, the way I see it is I usually can tolerate it, but uh, it's my wife who has a problem with the smell. Um, An interesting side story to this, we recently had some tile work done in our bathroom, and the sealant that they used for this natural tile, 
definitely had some linseed oil in it, and man, did it have an odor that just did not quit. And the problem was when they put the sealer on, they did it incorrectly. Uh, they didn't wipe off the excess. So not only did we have the stink, but we also had a sticky mess on our hands. So I wound up having to remove as much as I could using like an orange remover, goof-off type material, try to get it to dissipate as much as possible. But it still took months for that smell to go away. It was just awful. So uh, I have a feeling if you just wait you may actually wind up having no need for a co-sleeper anymore. Your, your baby may moved on, may have moved on to the next stage of life. Uh, so uh, I do recommend doing something to combat that smell uh, immediately. Now, this is something that's going to happen when you're using finishes that have boiled linseed oil in it, uh, that natural oil content that's in a Danish oil, or maybe you made your own blend of oil and poly. Um, that stuff really does stink. Now, you also get the smell from regular varnishes and polys, but it's usually not quite as bad. And after a couple of weeks, it really does dissipate uh, fairly well. So you've got two things to think about. First of all, how how do you treat it now? What I would do is probably go with a type of finish that doesn't have an odor. Uh, now that you've given it at least a week, probably by the time you're hearing this, a couple weeks, you can definitely go over that finish with a different type of finish, like a spray lacquer uh, shellac is a really good option, or even a, a water-based poly. Now, with the water-based, you may want to go with a coat of shellac in between, de-waxed shellac, just in case we have any uh, bonding issues between the oil layer and the, the water-based layer, but lacquer should lay down fairly nicely. And when you put those finishes on there, after a day or two, usually the smell is completely gone. It's usually not bad at all. And if you put that over that Danish oil finish, that should take care of the odor. Just give it three or four days sitting in the shop, then bring it in, and I'm sure your, your wife is going to be a whole lot happier with that. Uh, so now let's talk a little bit about prevention. Of course, the first option is to avoid that finish in the first place. Stick with the fast drying finishes like your water-based polys, uh, your lacquer finishes, and your shellacs. If they dry quickly, they tend to also not retain any sort of odor over a long period of time. So avoid the Danish oil, avoid the boiled linseed oil, and you shouldn't have a problem. Now, if you do want the look of oil, because that's really what we're talking about here, right? These fast drying finishes don't really look like an oil-based finish. So let's say you absolutely want that appearance. Well, you can actually put the oil, Danish oil, on the surface, let it cure completely, and then do what we were just talking about, hitting it with one of those other finishes as a final top coat. And you'll sort of get the best of both worlds uh, with that oil-based look, the darkening of the wood that you expect, the ambering that you get with the oil-based, but you're top coating it with something else, and that generally will seal a lot of that uh, odor and stuff into um, the layer below that top coat of finish. So it shouldn't be as bad in terms of off-gassing and creating the fumes in your house. And a second option, which actually could be, I didn't mention it before, but it could be an option for what you do with your current situation, is to take a little bit of a wipe-on poly and put that on the furniture uh, after you have the Danish oil on there. Those finishes are compatible as long as you let that finish dry for at least a week or so, you can hit it with the polyurethane. And again, I mentioned it before, the poly will have an odor, but it shouldn't be as intense or last as long as the one that comes from the Danish oil or something containing the boiled linseed oil. All right. So either way, prevention is definitely the key. And if you can enjoy the look of some of those fast drying finishes, that's my favorite way to end up with a finish that doesn't cause problems for your family is to avoid using the nasty smelling stuff in the first place. Our next question comes from John. He writes in and says, Hey guys, I'm going to repaint a sitting bench that I made out of home center pine, and the original finish was paint topped with Johnson's paste wax. Should I remove the wax before I repaint? And what wax finishes would you use? 
Well, John, I absolutely recommend that you remove the wax before doing anything else. Generally speaking, uh, wax on the surface is going to be a problem for just about any finish, any type of paint. Wax is something that's going to prevent the bonding of the layers of these uh, finishes. So if you have wax on there, you need to get it off. And that could be a tricky affair sometimes, uh, just because you may have trace amounts of the wax on the surface that could lead to finish failure in the future. Uh, so yes, definitely try and get that wax off of there. Honestly, if you can strip and get it down to bare wood and start over again, that gives you an opportunity uh, to use primers and just whatever materials you want to make sure you have a good bonded layer of paint on top of it. Now, you asked what wax finishes I would use. The answer would be none. Um, generally speaking, not a fan of wax finishes for this reason, you know, because they cause finishing problems. I don't feel like they add a whole lot to the party. A lot of people use wax on clear finishes to sort of abrade the surface and really give it a nice smooth satiny look. And, you know, maybe you hit it with a little bit of steel wool at the same time. And that's kind of just that finishing the finish step. And they're using wax as the medium to get that job done and they could buff it up and it looks real nice. Well, there are other ways to achieve that as well that don't involve the use of wax, and then you don't have this sort of wax buildup over time, and also the wax maintenance commitment. Uh, I don't want to marry my finishes, generally speaking, so I don't want to have to uh, pay attention to them every year. Whoa, that's bad. That's going to be horrible. I can't let Nicole hear that. <laughs> but you know what I mean? I don't want a finish that requires me to babysit it periodically. And that's, ten, you know, it tends to be the case with wax finishes. So I try to avoid them. Now, in the case of paint, I do have a little bit of difficulty understanding why you would want to wax it in the first place. A good quality paint is going to provide a good deal of protection, a nice surface that generally is going to look the way you want it to look. I just don't see any reason to use wax in that situation. So um, I know that doesn't answer your question but it tells you at least my perspective on this that I wouldn't really hit it with wax after repainting at all. Our next question comes from Tom. He says, I made a fairly substantially sized mug for my outdoor events like camping or medieval reenactments, but instead of making it Cooper style, I cut rings of the flat face out of three quarter inch red oak boards, uh, glued them in a stack with waterproof glue, and now have an end grain mug. I personally think it's gorgeous and certainly something few people have seen. My conundrum is how to finish it in such a way that the liquid material it is meant to contain doesn't wick through the end grain. My issue is compounded because not only do I want to drink things like water, but also mix drinks around the fire in the evening and potentially coffee in the morning, not to mention washing it well when I come home from the event. It's cured, and as and well, he does go on to explain different types of finishing that he's tried, materials he's used, waxes, polys, uh, you name it, uh, epoxy even, he's tried on this thing. And he goes on to say it's cured, and as such is presumably... Yeah, I'm working uh, out English today, is presumably at least moderately food safe as long as I don't go gnawing on my mug and there's still the wax inside of the grain. I do, however, want to eventually make this as a product for things like fairs, farmers markets, etc. to help fund my woodworking habit and I'm not entirely certain what I, that I want to sell a product that's potentially poisonous. I'm sure the marine epoxy would work like a champ. After all, it keeps boats sealed. Mugs should be no problem, but I don't want to have a person potentially get sick in the process. Um, so here's the thing, and this may be a cop out answer because I'm not going to give him an answer in terms of, uh, the type of finish. Um, Tom, this is something that makes me nervous because really wood is just the worst for, for holding drinks. Uh, and here's why, no matter what you finish it with, even if you finish it with nothing at all, let's say, and obviously it presents a problem for your end grain situation. You have an issue where a lot of these drinks can pull in flavor 
either from the wood or from the finish. And as your liquid material that you're drinking is contacting, let's say you've got a nice coating of finish, there is a safety issue um, of potential chemicals leaching into the thing that you're drinking. And if it doesn't just affect the flavor, you could also have that issue of affecting your health. Uh, So I I usually recommend against this. I think if you're going to make mugs, coopered or otherwise, and sell them, they should be sold as novelty items. And I don't think they should be used for drinking. And that's just a personal opinion. And I'm sure there are plenty of people out there who will disagree with me on this, but I don't think that wood makes a great material for a mug. Uh, You know, there are so many great materials out there that are just completely impervious to liquids uh, where this type of thing is just not an issue. You know, so uh, if anyone has comments on this, please, in the comment section for this post, by all means, let us know what finishes you've used, what's worked, what hasn't worked, if you have thoughts on this for Tom. But I'm going to cop out a little bit here and just say I don't recommend you do this at all, just because I I think cleaning it is an issue. Maintaining a good, clean environment inside that mug is going to be an issue. And then dealing with very you know thick film finishes that protect the wood uh, could be an issue for the liquids contained within. So... Sorry, terrible answer, but I figured it was important to talk about. Our next question comes from Walter. He says, I understand the benefits of water-based finishes, but are they really appropriate for use in kitchen or bathroom environments like countertops or cabinets? Being water-based wouldn't being subjected to water weaken, dissolve, or impact the finish in some form even after it is cured. Well, that's a really good question. And first, I think we should tackle some terminology here because that's part of what confuses the issue. When folks say that a a water-based top coat, let's say like a water-based poly or or an acrylic, uh, you know, spray water-based finish, uh, when they say that that's water-based, that's actually a bit of a misnomer. The reality is it's waterborne. It's basically this finish that will cure once it's on the surface, but it's got water as a carrier. That's what you're using to uh, spray or apply with a brush or whatever. Uh, It's carrying the finish to the surface. The reality is water-based does mean that it will dissolve. So when you think water-based, think of those paints we used to use as kids, or maybe your kids are using those uh, water paints where you just put a little bit of water on it, the paint sort of dissolves, and you can actually paint a surface with it. It dries And then you could put more water on it and it reactivates, right? That's what water-based means. So when we're talking about finishes, water-based actually isn't really the best term. Now, there may be some water-based finishes that that truly do reactivate once they are hit with water, uh, but the finishes we typically use in woodworking are not those. So uh, the more appropriate term would be waterborne finishes. So once those are on the surface, you can get water on them and it's not going to redissolve. Now, water repeatedly over and over will indeed weaken finishes. It won't necessarily dissolve them, but water is one of the things that we have problems with, with finishes. And water-based finishes are, there I go, I'm doing exactly what I said not to do, waterborne finishes uh, can be problematic because they're not necessarily as durable as some of our counterparts in the oil-based uh, or even lacquer-based world. But that's something that's changing. You know, it seems like every year we have new formulations of finishes that get more and more durable. They start to act a little bit more like some of the, the finishes that we use for things like kitchen cabinets and bathroom cabinets. And, and there are current finishes on the market that are strong enough and durable enough for those applications. Now, I don't have specifics to recommend. I use a lot of general finishes products, and Durovar was something that I've used a lot in the past that has held up. But there are some great companies out there, and I know you guys have recommendations for them. If you've if you've used waterborne finishes that you really really like and you think they're extremely durable, go ahead and throw those into the comments section uh, so we can give Walter some recommendations. But I know they're out there, and I know they work fairly well, 
Uh, I don't know for sure, side by side, would they work as well as an oil-based finish or even like an epoxy coating on the top? I don't think we're there yet, but man, they, they're probably darn close at this point. So the whole like, you know, don't use water-based because it's not as good as other finishes, that argument is kind of going away as, as the technology just gets better and better. All right, so just keep that in mind. Terminology a lot of times can really screw us up when we're giving finishing advice and I'm just as bad as anybody else about using the wrong terminology. Just understand water-based does not necessarily mean that it's going to dissolve in water. And our final question today comes from Wesley. He says, I was planning on doing a wipe-on polyurethane finish over an end table and coffee table that I built. I wanted to do the shellac under the poly, but I was only able to get the clear and not the wax-free stuff. Do I need to dilute the shellac? Or should I just forget the shellac and just only do the wipe-on polyurethane? Now, before I can really answer that question, because the truth is I don't actually have enough information to answer it accurately, um, it's probably a good idea to review why we would want to put shellac on the surface before polyurethane anyway. Uh, generally speaking, there's a couple reasons. One is to save time. Now, if you're doing multiple coats of polyurethane, it can take quite a while for those to dry, right? So at least uh, typically an overnight or 24 hours between coats. Well, if you first seal the surface with shellac, the first coat of poly can go on the same day and you immediately start to build your finish. So by doing that, you kind of cut a day out of the finishing process because if you just went raw wood with the poly, that first coat gets really absorbed quickly into the surface and you still have to wait a day before you can apply coat number two. So what happens is by the time you, uh, if you seal with shellac, you put that first coat of poly, you're already building on the surface and essentially you cut a day out of your finishing schedule. So that's one strategic reason you might use it. Uh, shellac is also a great problem solver. If you have a blotch prone wood, you can pre-seal with shellac. It dries very quickly and then you could hit it with whatever finish you want on top of it or even a stain depending on what you're trying to do to prevent blotch. The other thing is if you have dissimilar materials, maybe you're going from an oil-based uh, you know, material that you put on and you want to use a water-based top coat, you might use shellac as a binder, uh, something that has no problem binding to the oil-based surface. Uh, and then the water-based material won't have a problem binding to the shellac. So it's kind of the go-between uh, if you have a problem surface with oils or dissimilar finishes. Now, I don't know what Wesley's situation is here. I don't know what species he's using. I don't know why exactly he wants to use shellac, uh, but it sounds like he, the way he worded his email, it sounds like he's got the option not to use it. And whenever possible, in the world of finishing, I can't, I can't stress this enough, simplify wherever you can. Uh, I can't tell you how many emails I get from people who want to add, you know, 20 different ingredients to make this finishing process so complicated. And it, you could probably, you know, reduce it by 75%, still get the same visual result and have a finish that's much easier to apply. Um, so that's an extreme. But in this case with Wesley, I would say skip the shellac. Unless you have one of those strategic reasons you need to use it, I think you're better off just going right with your poly, building your coats. And it sounds like you can't find the right stuff anyway, right? So you don't necessarily want to use the shellac with wax in it because that doesn't work quite as well as that sort of universal binder that we were talking about. All right. And uh, I think that really does it for the show today. So thank you for listening, everybody. And we'll be back soon with our regular schedule. And I'm going to throw it to imaginary Matt right now so he can give you the contact information and we'll get out of here. All right. Hey, folks, do you have a comment, a question, a topic suggestion? There's several different ways to contact us. Leave us a voicemail on Skype. Our username is Wood Talk Online. Call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180. Email us at kickback at woodtalkshow.com or leave us a comment on our Wood Talk Facebook page. And if you're looking for the show notes or downloads from today's shows or previous episodes, you're going to find those over at woodtalkshow.com. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.